This call is presented for information purposes and is not intended to provide or be a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, treatment, or prescribing. Never disregard medical advice or delaying in seeking it because of any information provided through this call. Neither Anthony William nor Anthony William Inc. is a medical doctor or other licensed healthcare practitioner and provider. Consult with a licensed healthcare professional before altering or discontinuing any current medication, treatment, or care, or starting any diet, exercise, or supplementation program, or if you suspect you may have a health condition that requires medical attention. The information provided through this call is not guaranteed to be correct, complete, or up-to-date, and should not be considered a promise of benefit, claim of cure, legal warranty, or guarantee of results to be achieved. The information provided does not necessarily reflect the opinions of Anthony William or Anthony William, Inc. Mentioning a product or service during the call is not intended to indicate or imply that Anthony William or Anthony William, Inc. recommends, endorses, supports, sponsors, or is any way affiliated or associated with the product or service. Anthony William, Inc. is the only party permitted to record this call and reserves all copyright and other proprietary rights associated with the recording and its content. Anthony William, Inc. may use, copy, and distribute the recording in whole or in part, alone or with other recordings or information, and in transcript form for advertising or other purposes. Any use of the recording or its content without the prior written consent of Anthony William, Inc. is strictly prohibited. Hello, I'm Anthony William, and I'm excited, I'm grateful, I'm honored, I'm happy that you're here, ready to take on this powerful information that can help you forge forward with that protective armor that I always talk about, that protective armor. My life's purpose has always been that you get answers to protect yourselves, your family, you know, to have that truth, to have that knowledge, to protect your loved ones, your dear friends, and, and your neighbors, anybody that's important in your life. And, and that's, that's important. You know, if this is your first time joining my webinar or heard a radio show or read any books or anything of mine, please know that I dedicated my life to provide real answers for countless people for decades. And much of the information has been proven over the years as the years have gone by. It's been proven even by science of information that I brought to the table. And so much of it that I've brought for us hasn't been yet discovered by research or science. And it's still years, years down the road and ahead. But I always want you to have that information now. I don't want you waiting. It doesn't make any sense to wait, you know. And there's something important for you to know is as you listen, you may see that sometimes this information that I'm sharing with you will seem the, like the opposite of what you've heard before when it comes down to something in health or something in cancer or something like that. But don't be alarmed. There could be good reason and very good reason why it's the opposite to protect you. So keep that in mind as you're listening to this and going through this. And sometimes you'll notice that the information could be similar to other sources, but there's subtle and different critical differences that make the difference. There's critical differences in the information, and you might not be able to see that right off the bat and say, oh, well, oh, God, I've heard that before. No, there could be a subtle critical difference because it matters because information as it goes down the line gets messed with as it goes down the line. The common thread with the information you're going to get today is that it's the truth. And I'm not talking about truth that has been altered, truth that has been tainted, truth that has been skewed along the way. I'm not talking about that kind of truth, that even the best, the best well-known experts are speaking out there but don't realize there's something in there that's not in your best interest. The information you're going to get is not repackaged. 
And it's not recycled theory made to sound like something new. You know, this, this information you'll hear doesn't come from interest groups. Medical funding with strings attached, botched research, lobbyists, internal kickbacks. Yeah, persuaded belief systems and private panels of influencers and health, health field payoffs or even trendy traps that are both in conventional and alternative medicine. That are both in conventional and alternative medicine. Seriously. You know, when I say that, I still can't even believe it, but it's true. And I've seen it, and I've seen it over again. This information I'm sharing with you is in your best interest. You need to know that. That's important. It's in no one else's best interest. It's not in any of those groups I just mentioned, okay? It's very important because those groups come along with even the best alternative information that people and experts are sharing. And it doesn't mean it's in your best interest anymore, even though the heart's all there and it's all there in the sense of, you know, the, the inspiration's all there, the passion someone could have behind it. Best, your best interest matters. See, the information you're going to get here comes from a clean source, a pure, untampered source that I've been blessed with and have had access to since age four, a higher source, a compassionate source that many of you have learned through reading my books or have heard or experienced one-on-one with me all through the years. Okay, so fasten your seatbelts, and I hope you enjoy the show. And I mean fasten those seatbelts, for really, because we're going for a ride. (laughs) We're going for a ride. Many people have recently been asking me a lot, you know, what, what are my thoughts about cancer? You know, I see it all over the place. A lot of people will ask me in different, you know, ways and online and everything else. What do, you know, what do I know about cancer? And what are my thoughts about cancer? Well, you know, so it was time that I actually, I actually covered this. Like I've covered dozens and dozens of ailments and different, you know, illnesses and diseases and conditions with advanced information I think it's important to just, you know, get some cancer information out there, too, uh, that could look be additionally helpful for the information that's already out there in the world. Either way, but it's important information. And my personal experience with cancer, you guys, started at age four when I discovered my grandmother had lung cancer. So I was the one that actually saw that she had lung cancer, and many of you probably know that story and how it went. But it's, but that was my first personal experience. And since then, though, through the decades, I've actually seen cancer in so many different people, cancer that has developed in so many different people along the way. And I've taken it extremely personal because of my grandmother, number one, and number two, because of the nature of it and what we go through in health and everything else. So I'm going to provide key pieces to cancer that you should know. And, of course, Epstein-Barr, which has a reason for why we're doing that today, too, which you'll, you'll, you'll figure out, out along the way as we talk about it. And... So we're taking this serious today. We really are. Cancer and EBV, cancer and Epstein-Barr, we're taking this serious. You know, so when I diagnosed my grandmother of lung cancer at age four, I've seen a lot of people just in, as a child, I'd be in a busy place or being a movie theater and be able to know if someone had cancer in the movie theater and whatever kind of cancer and variety of cancer. Now, the 
good thing about the gift, the wonderful good thing about the gift that I've been given is you get to know what's behind the cancer. What's really the starting point? When did it start? How did it start in someone? What was it? See, medicine today, you guys, medicine today just focuses on cancer once it's been created, once something's been created, once something's developed and manifested. That's what cancer research is about. It's about that point. Cancer research really isn't about anything before that. And if it is, it's about something entirely wrong, which we're going to talk about. And I could say that, and it's going to be a mind blower, that there's a, fa- there's a piece of fabric about the study of cancer today that isn't really correct. And so the, the information has to be out there about really how does it start? How can a cancer cell become a cancer cell? How can a cancer cell grow? How and what and why? What's really going on? And that's what we're talking about today. I mean, we only have a certain amount of time, of course, so I can't go on and on and on about hundreds of different varieties of cancer and all the different research that's out there today and the whole bit, and we'll do more of these. We're going to do more of these along the way, so we cover more and more, but we're going to cover key, critical, critical points that are so important and information that is so important. So I just want to give you that whole background. Now, let's go into history just a little bit. Now, there, I'm sure there's some cancer experts that are actually just listening to this for sure now, and different physicians and different professionals and different people all around and people that aren't even doctors that are, that are experts in cancer because they've experienced it or they've known somebody or anything like that, or they're just researching constantly, and I get that. So if you know some research, you know that cancer, we've been told... Cancer goes back a long way. It goes back years and years and years and years before us. So that's what we've been told. The cancers, it's really old. It's old in our history. It goes back farther and further. Like, for instance, you may hear that cancer is a thousand years old. And then you may hear that there's people with cancer that, you know, are 2,000 years ago. Maybe they found a mummy with cancer. Okay, and then you may hear that just 500 years ago, okay, or, you know, go back to 400 BC, all right, when the word cancer was, was created, it's a Greek word, so that word was created, that's a Greek word, cancer, for sickness in the body. So you would think, well, cancer started really early because 400 BC, that's when cancer first started, so, and you're going to hear eventually... And you're going to hear eventually that, you know, an ice man, an ice man has cancer and they got it under study. You know, somebody they found in ice 10,000 years ago, 12,000 years ago, next to a mammoth. <laughs> and they're going to say, well, you know, science research can say, well, cancer goes back as far as, woo, the time of the mammoths. And you're going to hear that. But I have to be straight with you guys. I have to be straight up. All right. And remember, I told you to fasten those seatbelts. There's reasons for this, for this trip, for this ride. There's reasons. See, we've been had. That's misinformation. Cancer is young, extremely young in history. And I'm going to talk about how and why and what. See, you have to understand something. When the term cancer in 400 BC, around 400 BC, they're around that time frame. When the Greeks came up with the term cancer, they were talking about a tumor. 
But they weren't talking about cancer cells in a tumor. They weren't talking about malignant cancer cells in a tumor. That word was developed for benign tumors. For benign tumors. That's where that word was developed. It was also developed off of just sickness that grew, whether it even wasn't a tumor. It didn't even have to be a tumor for that word to be used when it was first invented as first first that word was first you know pronounced so that means if someone was dying of some type of toxin or illness or something back you know over 2000 years ago the word cancer was applied all the time all of the time it was applied tumor no tumor um being able to see a disease or not it was applied so you need to understand that this is really important Okay, any kind of tumors that were even found in the 1400s, 1500s, 1600s weren't cancerous. Could they have killed someone? Yes, growing the wrong way, growing in the wrong place. Absolutely, growing up against an organ, pushing up against a vein, pushing up is very easy back in that day for anything to pretty much take you out. And but these tumors weren't the cancer we speak of, we see, we talk about today at all. Now, why is this? Why isn't this corrected anywhere? Why isn't this corrected with the experts? Why aren't they correcting it? Because they don't know better, I'm sorry to say. And there's a reason for this. It's not their fault. Not their fault at all. The reason why no one's corrected with this is because medicine today has to put the blame on you. It has to put the blame on you. You need to know that's how it's all been set up. Okay? And hang on, hang on, hang on. This is going to be okay. Get some tea out. <laughs> Get some tea out, okay? Maybe some, some lemon balm tea or some relaxing tea because this is hard. This is hard to digest. Maybe some peppermint tea because, you know, it helps you digest food. So we'll get the helps your digestion improve. We'll get some peppermint tea out. See, the fault has to be put on you. Same thing I talk about all the time with autoimmune disease. We're, we're told that the body is attacking itself, that the body literally is destroying itself with any kind of autoimmune disease. That's incorrect information. As I've talked about many times, there's pathogens that are the cause of the damage being done or the inflammation that's occurring. The body produces an antibody not to destroy the body or hurt the body on any level, but to go after the virus. It's not autoimmune. See, that part isn't even corrected yet. But the blame is always, it's not corrected out there, except I was the first person to actually get it out there. Now it's starting to get out there, thank God. And it will be proven. I promise you this. But the point is, is for you to believe that it's always your fault. So no matter what, so whatever kind of chronic fatigue or sickness or disease or illness or rash or disorder, it's, it's, it's just you. And this is how it's always been set up. So if the truth came out, the real truth, and you knew that you weren't responsible for your cancer or cancer just didn't afflict you, it didn't naturally afflict you, just came on to you because that's the way it's been for thousands of years, which is the wrong information. If you knew the truth that it was somebody else's fault. And if 
the world knew that, things would start falling apart. The things would start falling apart in medicine and research and everything else. So the pattern for medicine is always going to be heading in the direction, it's your fault. You got bad genes. Your body's attacking itself and destroying itself. You're creating your problem. You're eating too much. You're not taking care of yourself. You're doing whatever, whatever it is, it's going to point there in medicine. But with cancer, cancer's an early epidemic, really early. I mean, not early, sorry, just recently early is what I mean. That's what I'm trying to say here. It's recent. It's recent. And it's not as far back going all the way as we think it is. So when did the first real cancer start to develop into cancer? Meaning it left just the word itself and turned into a malignant cell, a cancerous cell, a cell that became destructive or a tumor that became filled with malignant cells and so forth. When did that all start? Right in the late 1700s, the late 1700s. That's when the first cancer started. That alone is important to understand for so many reasons. That's when the first cancer started. And those cancers weren't the cancers we're dealing with now today. They weren't those cancers. They weren't. In fact, in the late the very late 1700s, there was only basically one variety of cancer, docile, slow to the punch, not problematic, barely problematic. And then by the 1830s, 1840s, a couple of other cancer varieties stemmed from it, still docile, but a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more worse. The first cancer started around the Industrial Revolution, the Industrial Revolution, which gave, that was the birth of chemistry. That was the birth of the chemical world. This is when cancer started. Understand that it started when man started playing with chemicals, started playing with chemicals in the lab, chemistry. That's when it first started, and those chemicals were, were created and worked on and being the chemical world was being built. The industrial world was being built. We were burning things in the air we never burnt before. We were playing with different things. We were synthesizing, synthesizing different things, different chemical compounds, different agents that we were, we were playing with. We were mixing metals, and we were learning how to use chemistry for the first time in history really learning how to use chemistry for the first time in, in history. And we are learning how to do things with it. We are learning how to play with metal with it, to change the structure of metals, and to even do more than that. And we were burning chemicals and burning them. And they weren't the chemicals we have today, which is why the cancers weren't so bad the cancers weren't so bad at this point. Now, of course, in the, in the you know, 1700s and 1800s, we had all kinds of different tumors, and we had different varieties of tumors, and they were getting worse, benign tumors, different illnesses, different sicknesses to that point. But cancer itself, cancer itself and the cells of cancer wasn't in its you know, great day at that point at all. 
But it's the birth of the, basically the industries. It was the birth of the chemical, playing around with chemicals and the industries. Okay? And here's the deal now as we go today, now where we are today. There are a lot of different varieties of cancers now. We know that. You know that. I'm not telling you anything new. And, but what there is, there's a lot of different variations of why someone gets a cancer, to what degree they get a cancer, to what degree. So all kinds of different variables, lots of them, okay? Now, science and research doesn't care about the variables, so medical science and medical research doesn't care about all those. They don't care about all the different variables. We're not there yet, you know, as far as science and research goes. No one cares about all the different reasons someone gets a certain cancer and someone else doesn't. Or someone gets a certain variety of a mutated version of a cancer and someone doesn't. Or someone gets sick in a certain way with the cancer, like someone, it kills someone, but doesn't kill another person. All these different variables. And there's so many in the mix. And to what degree someone gets cancer and who gets the cancer. And because the reason why it's all man behind cancer to begin with, I'm not talking about uh, any bad people, you know, that are trying to help people and help cure people of cancer and help. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, I'm talking about all the different things created of why we deal with cancer now. Exposure, talking about solvents, all the different solvents we're exposed to all the time, and the chemical agents, all the different chemical agents, we're, we're thousands of chemical agents, all the different pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, rodenticides. Um, insecticides, whatever, all those different ones. Radiation exposure, not just radiation, different types of radiation, different types of radiation exposure all the time. And that's just a fraction of it. Then there's something else. See, someone has to have two things. There has to be two things that someone has to have in their body to create the possibility of cancer. There has to be two things in someone's body, you guys, to create cancer. Even though there's all these different solvents and these different agents and different heavy metals, different pesticides, different radiations, varieties of radiation, different um, you know, nanotechnology and everything else. Even though that's all there. There's chemicals falling out of the sky. Even though that's all there, there has to be two things. That's one thing. That's one group. That's one thing. But you have to have something else. You have to have a virus. You have to have a viral nature inside the body. It has to be a virus inside the body or viruses inside the body. So there are two things someone has to have in order to create cancer. Two things. They have to have chemical agent of some kind, which is a toxin of some kind. And they have to have a virus. That's the two things. And then you got the possibility of possible cancer, you know? And if, you know, unless you do things like get toxins out of the body, unless you do things like knock any viruses down, then you, then you never get cancer. Even if you have the virus and the toxins, 
if, but if they get out of control, more toxins, toxins accumulate, more toxins build up, more toxins, you know, pile on top of, its, of itself and build up in different organs, different places of the body and the brain and, the, and even the stomach. Stomach holds so many toxins. It goes into the lining of the stomach, wherever these toxins are, liver everywhere, pancreas, you name it. And then the virus. The virus is, in, is, is increasing in numbers if it's proliferating, if it's growing. And that's the other factor. It's these two things. And that's the difference of what you're going to hear. This is another difference all on its own. So there has to be a toxin. There has to be a virus. The variations are endless, though, to what virus and what virus strain. The variations are endless to what virus and what virus strain. And is the virus mutated? What kind of virus? Is it mutated? And how many toxins someone has? Do they just have a few heavy metals and a little bit of radiation? Do they have different varieties of, of, of you know, do they have all kinds of different things? Do they have, you know, carpet chemicals, you know, going through their body? You know, from, from carpet cleaning services? Are they, are they getting their home sprayed? Are they eating only conventional produce nonstop and only that? But if, the, if someone ha- has to be forced to eat conventional produce nonstop... I understand, <clears throat> you know, it's more affordable in so many ways for so many people, but there's things you could do to still clean up the pesticides while you have to eat that way. And you're still getting benefits from those foods that help counter that. But the bottom line is, and what I'm trying to say is the endless variations and then how strong the person's immune system is. So how strong the person's immune system is matters too. That makes a huge difference. So each person is different. Everybody's different. Okay? Everybody's different. Someone can smoke cigarettes for 50 years and not develop lung cancer. Someone could never smoke ever, but they happen to breathe in a lot of hairspray over the years, over the decades, you know, to try to get their hair looking prettier a certain way. So they're just spraying hairspray. And someone breathe in hairspray. And for some reason they get lung cancer. Someone, not spraying anything, gets lung cancer and didn't smoke a day in their life. I mean, I've seen people smoke a lifetime and not get lung cancer and not get any cancer. Any cancer. Because one of those things that I talked about, the two things, one of those things wasn't there. It wasn't there. Apparently, they had, the, they had the toxins. They were able to smoke for 50 years, 60 years, 70 years. They had the toxins. That's the one thing, remember? And the other thing, the viruses, they didn't have. They didn't have the viruses. They didn't have a virus. That's why old man Johnson never got lung cancer and never died. That's why old lady McFarlane, she never died she she smoked. Maybe she got a little something else. Maybe she got COPD when she's 92. But but the cancer's not there. And I've seen that. I mean, I've seen that for decades happen. Because there has to be two things. There has to be two things. And the variations matter. Including even stress. Including stress. Because adrenaline doesn't help either. Adrenaline can be really noxious, can be really toxic. 
and really difficult to deal with. Cancer research, like I said, is based on cancer that's manifested already. It's, it, that's what it's really based on. It, it, it always has been. It's about, okay, that's it. There it is. Let's biopsy it. Let's cut it out. You know, let's do what we got to do. I mean, whatever. I'm not saying that that's bad or good. Everybody has um, choices they make and directions they go to how they handle a situation and how they deal with it. And some people, you know, they get surgery. Some people don't. Some people get chemo. Some people just get radiation. There's a whole vast differences to how many people and what they do. And cancer clinics have gotten a lot better. They have gotten a lot better. It's not like the dark ages, you know, and, and that's true. They have improved in so many different ways. They've reduced and lowered variations of chemotherapy. They're working on targeted and targeting what chemotherapy works with what cells and so forth. And so there is, there's, there's definitely differences that have made a difference in people's lives. And, and, and I stand behind science and research 100%. You need to know that. One of the things that happens is when I talk about how science research hasn't discovered this or they don't understand this or maybe something trickled down the line that's not in your best interest, it doesn't mean I don't believe or love medical research and science and I don't stand behind it and love the people behind it and what they're doing. You need to know that. It's important. But, I, but you also need to know the other side or the piece, pieces of it to fill in. So, you know... With the pesticides and the herbicides and everything else we have going on, and not just that, the different metals and all the different toxins and the solvents, that's one aspect of it. And then you have to have the viral present that's, act, that's the other side of it. Now, why? Why will that create cancer? So back to this. Why will that create cancer? Because the virus has to have something to feed on. It has to have a fuel. It has to have something it can eat, something that it can consume. And you might be a a biologist or something right now listening, and you're like, viruses don't eat anything. No, that's not true. That's misinformation they even teach in school. Viruses eat. That's how they produce. They eat. They can't produce if they don't get the food they need. And if you don't have a virus in you, then you don't have to worry. I mean, but chemicals and harmful substances don't do us any good and could give us other health conditions and problems and cause all kinds of variations like tumors that are benign, like the tumors back in the day in 400 BC when the word cancer was created and it was a benign tumor. It wasn't cancerous cells that we deal with today because that's a new thing, new thing in history. But the, but, but the benign tumors back in 400 BC were filled with heavy metals, especially back in the day, in the Rome day, in the Greek, you know, all that, that day, back that time in history, in Greece, all that time in history, what was going on there was heavy metals were saturating the waterways. Everybody was using heavy metals like never before in history. And there were some toxic substances for certain varieties of of minerals and and chemistry starting, nothing like it did in the Industrial Revolution, but it created toxic problems such as tumors that weren't cancerous. And those tumors have to feed too, but cancer cells need, they need the very toxins I was talking about before. They need those toxins in order to survive in order to eat, in order to turn into something, in order to turn into something. A virus cell, a viral cell is not a cancer cell. It's not a cancer cell. 
Nope, not yet. It's not a cancer cell. So a virus cell has to eat, and what it does, if it's eating a poison, it has to eliminate it. And this is where we're going to go into more information. So fasten your seatbelts again. I know I'd probably drive you crazy, you guys, with that one. But, you know, get ready. Get your, you know, get your herbal tea out, whatever you need, and the whole bit. It's important because we're going in. We're going into some good stuff here. Um, so a virus consumes a toxin. A solvent, a pesticide, a heavy metal, a plastic, a fernan, a dioxin. Dioxins. Dioxin. The age of dioxins is upon us. That's one of viruses' favorite foods for cancer producing. A dioxin itself doesn't necessarily create cancer. If you saturate a rat in the lab with dioxins, the rat will have viruses. There's, there's no question. The rat will have viruses within it to feed off the dioxin to create a cancer. So, and I mean pesticides like DDT too. All those are still in our environment. I talk about that so many times. And if you, you know, I can't cover everything right now. I'd love to talk about DDT for an hour. I can't. You just have to keep on looking into all my past shows and things I do. But but what happens is once that virus consumes a toxin, it remanufactures. It's a remanufacturing industrial machine itself is that tiny viral cell. And it remanufactures the toxin. It changes the chemical compounds of the chemical structure. The biochemical turns it into a biohazard worse than it was originally. turns it into a biohazard in a worse state. Okay, than it originally was to begin with. And then it releases it into the body's atmosphere as something far greater in strength and destructive. Okay, far more aggressive to the body. This new toxin saturates an area of tissue, especially if a virus happens to be near an area of tissue, such as, say, if a virus is near or in the thyroid. So as it's eating the food it wants, it releases it. So that would be a thyroid cancer. So as it releases the toxin in an area, a tissue or, or um, you know, an organ, more cells die around it from, from that toxin. Because the cells are being poisoned. So when the virus remanufactures and it releases that toxin into tissue, and this information isn't out there. This is a big part of the information that's not out there. And it's important for you to know, write down your notes, because I don't want you forgetting and I don't want you missing out. And once that, that, that toxic remanufactured poison is released, back into an organ or into some tissue and not just floating around the body. If it's close to an organ or anything like that, more cells die in that tissue. They die of a stink of death. Basically what that means is, is that virus's poison kills cells. It kills cells. Those cells actually are dying differently than when cells naturally die and create toxins. So as cells naturally die and create toxins, in our body on a healthy level. That's different. These cells were poisoned to death. They were living cells, and now they're poisoned to death. And 
there's a decaying process and they're very toxic. Okay? And then that, that can even be released throughout the bloodstream, which lowers the immune system and the immune function, which is part of all this. And a lot of these rotting cells can also stay in that adjacent area, with, whether it's in a thyroid or in an organ or anything. But these cells have a signature attached to them now. They have a signature because of the poison that it was that from the virus. The virus put a chemical compound on these po- in these poisons. And so there's a signature. These dying, decaying cells prompt an additional viral response. So more viruses are coming. More viral cells are coming. And when they come... These viral cells, they engage in an area where the first viral attack was, for instance, say on a thyroid. So they engage in that area where these first cells were dying. The viruses then consume more damaged dying cells that were first contaminated originally. And they remanufacture the toxic dead cell material. Okay, now we're remanufacturing again. We're remanufacturing something that was remanufactured. The poison initially that got into the cells that killed it was already remanufactured once. This is an important, very important understanding. But when the virus starts to eat those dead, decaying cells that have the once already remanufactured poison, the virus remanufactures the poison again. The living virus cell remanufactures the poison again. That's what it does. I'm going to tell you, that's not good. So it remanufactures those toxic dead cells. This is a process that doubles the toxic strength. It doubles the toxin strength. So as the new viruses digest and release the once again remanufactured poison again, it's in double strength, double trouble. It's in double strength, double in strength. It's synthesized like a little chemical factory, synthesized. And to give you an example of, of when, you, when you take chemicals and their basic structures, structures, you mix them, you, you spin them, you spin them in the big vats in the chemical companies. I won't name the companies, but you spin them, you work them, and you, you do the whole process. And then you take that, you take a portion of that, not all of it, you take a little portion and you add it to another batch and you do this whole mixing and everything. This whole thing occurs. It's almost like each vat of chemicals gobbles up a small amount they keep on passing on to the next one, and it gobbles it up. Then they take a portion of that. It's called reverse homeopathy in a way, reverse homeopathy for destructive natures, not for healing the body, but for building destructive warfare chemicals and so forth and, and insecticides and skull and crossbones crap, you name it. It's that. So this is kind of like that. That's an example. It's similar in some way. So... Basically, it's like I'm saying, it's similar to the chemical factors, factories creating more potent versions of a chemical compound, synthesizing. Now, if this process continues, the poison gets stronger and stronger. It can quadruple in strength and then get even stronger. And don't get scared. Don't get worried. This isn't a, this isn't a scary show. This show's a powerful show to give you an understanding you never had before so you could do something about it and really protect yourself. Like, really protect yourself. Not just stupid protecting talk. Like, really protect yourself. Good stuff. Really good stuff.
is you know it's important to know all this. So the poison severely mutates, and then what happens is the viruses start to adapt for that new poison. So the viruses are eating these denatured cells, these death, these dying cells that are in a little tissue, a little organ tissue. They're they're eating these cells that have already been remanufactured even once or twice. And they're eating these cells. And the viruses themselves can't even handle the level of toxin they created to begin with. The virus can't even handle the level of toxin that it had created. It's too much for the virus itself, the original virus that started out. It's way too much. And you're hearing for the first time in history, anywhere, right here, how a, how a virus mutates, because no one else will tell you because they don't know. There's no lab. There's no chemical lab, chemistry lab. There's no biology place. There's no you know immune expert out there that knows. It, it doesn't exist. I'm just letting you know. I'm not trying to do that to be cocky sounding and egomatic. That's not it at all. It's because if I don't give you the point, and you just probably think this stuff's online somewhere, and you go out looking around, and you have to find some other interesting little tidbit of information, and you just lose, lose, you know, you lose this. That's why I say what I say. So the deal is the virus itself gets poisoned. In order to not let the virus die, which a few of them end up dying from that noxious poison, from that toxic poison, a few of them do die, viruses. And you say, hey, that's great. That's perfect. In that situation, it's not perfect. Because the viruses quickly adapt. A virus quickly adapts. It has to adapt. And in order to adapt, it has to mutate. It has to mutate. That's what the virus has to do. It has to change gears. It has to change gears fast. Because viruses, the majority of all viruses, don't want you really getting hurt in the end. They want to live forever and live free and live happy. They don't want to hurt you in the end, just like the retrovirus, HIV retrovirus. It is never there to kill anybody. Retroviruses don't kill anybody. It's other things that kill people. That's what happened with the whole AIDS epidemic all, all, long, all along. People aren't dying anymore of AIDS because of new AIDS drugs. People aren't dying anymore of AIDS because the fear of, of God and the fear of dying and all that's been, been dropped back because... Because then that's a big part of why people died so much, is they thought they had a death sentence that would kill them in two days. Because that's, that's how it was purported out there, misinformation. It hurt so many people. But retroviruses and all viruses, they just, not all viruses, I'm sorry, viruses that are more just stealth, more natural-based, um, they have a lineage in our history. So, the vir- you know, a virus can get this poison in its system, Get this poisonous system and die, but 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 the viruses quickly learn from another virus that died. It quickly learns, and so it actually adapts. And once it adapts, it can handle a higher level, a level you know six, a level you know higher of poison. So as it's eating the dead cells, the human cells, our cells, as it's eating the dead cells out of, a, out of some tissue, out of some connective tissue, out of an organ, out of the liver, out of the lung, wherever cancers go and wherever cancers start and all these different things, it's eating all this. And it the dead cells, it's remanufacturing once again, and it's getting stronger. And that stronger material kills a few more virus cells that come along and try to engage 
And then more adapting occurs and more mutating of viruses have to amp up and the viruses become a different type of virus. And not a virus that can make you feel super duper sick necessarily. Viruses you don't even feel. You're not feeling anything going on. You're barely feeling anything. There's nothing even going on. You're just living your life. All's good. So, so basically, that adapting occurs, and the virus has to become something different. So eventually, the virus goes to another stage where it mutates so destructively or so differently because of the level of toxins that were constantly remanufactured over and over and over again. It had to change its game to the point where that viral cell became now a cancer cell. The virus cell is a cancer cell. That's when it became a cancer cell. And nowhere in medical history do they know this part yet. They know that viruses could be a cancer cell. They know that some viruses create cancers. They finally know that now. Guess what? I knew that as a child. I got that information from my source as a child before it was even out there. But... They know that now, but they don't know the process of how it gets there. And the reason why they're not going to is because that virus isn't your fault that you have it if you do. If, if like they say, 50% of the, of the world's population is going to have cancer in 20 years versus, you know, the other 50% not having, if the rates are going to be that high, it's not your fault that you have that virus, and it's not your fault. You have those chemicals, those chemical compounds, those destructive compounds, those toxins. It's not your fault. It's somebody else's fault, believe it or not, and it points back to the industries. And if it gets out that none of this cancer was your fault at all and someone else's fault and it gets out there, then there's hell to pay and there's trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars in damages. Look at it, asbestos cancer, mesothelioma. Look at asbestos cancer, okay? They got a $30 billion fund sitting out there for just one cancer, an industrial cancer, asbestos. By the way, asbestos Asbestos doesn't need a virus. That's why I didn't add it to all the toxins and all the the poisons I talked about. It doesn't need a virus. Asbestos on its own can create an asbestos cancer. It's literally its own breed. Its own breed completely separate from 99% of all the other cancers, which, guess what, are viral cancers. 99% of all the cancers out there are viral cancers, you guys, except for asbestos cancer. But look, there's a $30 billion billion fund for people who've been afflicted by asbestos cancer, right? right? Well, because it was somebody's fault. But if we were told that it took a virus... And it took all these different hosts of chemicals right down since the industrial revolution. The corporations and the industries and everything else going back since 1799, since 1817, the birth of the industrial revolution would have to come up with 
funds of billions and billions of dollars. It would equal trillions and trillions, and especially since it's going to carry on for decades and decades and decades, and more people are going to get cancer and sick, of can- sick with cancer and die and all these other things and suffer with ever in the future, unless they learn information and protect themselves, really, and watch the back. And because more and more that's going to happen, it wouldn't just be some asbestos fund of $30 billion. It would be in the trillions higher than the country's, country's debt of $20 trillion that we have now, which is the country's debt. It would be higher than $1920 trillion. Can you believe that? Yes, it would be higher than that. So it has to be your fault. It has to be your fault, something that is in your genes because you got bad genes. Genes play a role in a lot of different things. Don't get me wrong, but it's not why someone gets cancer. That's why the Brock one Brock 2 gene with breast cancer, that's why the majority of women with breast, breast cancer don't have the Brock one or Brock 2 gene. But what happened is the misinformation has to get out there. They have to feed it to people because if you know the truth, someone's going to take the blame down the road. Someone's going to find out how the first Epstein bars and the first HHV6s and the first different viruses started back in the early 1900s. And who started and where? Someone's going to find out. Another $5 trillion right there, a payback. Someone's going to find out, I saw all the chemical companies, which chemicals and everything else. That's why you can't really get a straight anything out of anybody. So they do a general dioxin. They compass it into one package. So no one gets the blame. No one takes the blame. You say, oh, dioxins could create cancer. They kind of do on a rat. So, you know, but that's about as far as it goes. So let's, talk, let's, let's keep on going. Let's keep on going. So here's the annoying part. The cancer virus can do something. It can create a can't meaning a now, now a cancer cell. So the virus can create a cancer cell. All right. And when it does this, here's here's what's annoying. It releases a chemical out of it, a chemical that saturates the human cell in the adjacent area that was poisoned originally with remanufactured toxins over and over again. So it can actually deliver now a chemical, a biochemical. It can the cell can produce a chemical and shoot it out into adjacent human cells in a tissue, in an organ, in an adjacent area. And it can do this and turn a human cell into a cancer cell. And that human cell is going to be different than the viral cancer cell. And this is something science and research has not discovered. There's a subtle and critical difference in every tumor and every lesion, a cancerous lesion, in, in any bone cancer, there's a subtle difference. There's viral cells that literally pose identically as the human cell cancer. So there's a cancer viral cell and a human cancer cell that pose identically to each other because science hasn't been able to divide them yet. They haven't been able to open up a tumor and know which one's which and know which one's which. Haven't gotten there yet. That's another 20, 30 years from now. But that's what happens right there. So a human cell turns into a cancer cell. And the cancer cell, the, the, the virus turns into a cancer cell first, obviously. 
And so it creates a human cancer cell. And they communicate. And they start to share the foods they like. They They start to share communication for what the cancer likes to eat. Yeah, what that cancer likes to eat, which we're going into a whole bunch of other stuff. So I hope you're enjoying this this ride, um, you know, and you're not upset or anything else. Just, you know, just maybe some, like I said, lemon balm tea is one of my favorites because why? It's one of the most powerful anti-cancerous teas that I love. So, so I love the lemon balm, but peppermint's good too, just to you know, relax overall as well. Chamomile's okay. So whatever you got in your cupboard, let's do it. So let's go back into this. Let's go back into the different factors and everything else. So as more cells gather in tissue and and they they can actually poison more cells. So we need that before multiplying occurs. We need a poisoning to occur. So the virus is poisoning more good cells. They're dying. It's remanufacturing again. It's remanufacturing stronger and stronger. Like I said before, the human cells are dying, turning into cancer cells. But multiplying has not occurred. And this is why people may just have a lesion, you know, a really bad lesion on a liver. Doctors don't know if it's good, bad, cancer or not. Let's do a biopsy. And some many times they're still not even sure, to be honest. And so as this is occurring... So this can also create a whole bunch of different carcinomas. There's not just one carcinoma, obviously. It's a really popular cancer, and there's different varieties of mutated forms of carcinoma. And it can be, and remember, variations matter with all the different poisons. What poisons were involved? Was it old DDT? Was it a pesticide? Was it an herbicide? Was it a fungicide from buying new clothes at the shopping mart? Was it, uh, was it anything? Was it detergents? Was it was it conventional detergents? I won't name the names, but all those conventional deter- detergents, you know, you see commercials for, that easily could spawn on and feed a virus and, and create a cancer. All these different toxins and chemical warfare that we're up against. So what occurs after a while is a tumor can start because the cells, the human cells that are cancerous now, they're staying alive more than they're dying. So more than they're dying off, they're staying alive. Because cancer cells at the beginning can naturally die off. They can naturally die off. They can't just like a virus because the virus fed it information. And so, but the reproduction of the poison is so toxic, so dangerous, that saturating more and more cells. And the cells start to accumulate while alive and mutated. And they group together, and they start forming a very microscopic membrane, extremely microscopic vessels, kind of like blood vessels, really small. And it starts to connect them all together, kind of like, kind of like when you go to a tree and you saw all the different veins on a leaf, but more so than this, kind of like a beehive, kind of like that too. And it starts to connect with having an ability to feed itself what it needs, feed itself the poison it needs, feed itself the food it needs to stay alive. And it, so it groups itself. But as it groups itself, it groups itself and encapsulates a whole bunch of viruses too that are also mutated. They become one. But what has to grow out of it 
is angiogenesis. Well, an- angiogenesis, you know. You know that. That's not nothing new. Angiogenesis. But I'll tell you something new. Angiogenesis, okay, are these different blood vessels that are coming out like tentacles so the tumor can grow and mass produce and take, it, take in more tissue or even take in more cells through angiogenesis. Viruses tend to try to deliver human cells up the veins of the blood vessels, the angiogenesis. Um, viruses start to become, from the outside of the tumor, delivery systems. Delivery systems. And adrenaline's a big part of this. If you're under too much stress, you're going through hell. All these different things are going on in your life. Adrenaline can help open up the, 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 the tentacle, the angiogenesis. And science has no clue about these parts. And I want to give you the forewarning on these different pieces. And it helps drive cells up that the, that the viruses are bringing up. Viruses can bring cells up and also deliver them up in different ways up this, these tiny blood vessels. And the adrenaline prompts the blood vessels to open up even wider. That's why people who are under enormous stress and don't take care of themselves and have any anti-cancerous foods and all these different things can, can come down with a cancer. So as this is happening, these tentacles and blood vessels are, are reaching out. The tumor can grow. The cancer can grow. But it's going to need more fuel and more food and that's where that's where the important stuff really comes in to try to stop cancers try to reverse cancers try to prevent cancers and it's foods and how foods work and that's what we're going to go into we're going to do a little food time is everybody ready for that we'll do a little food time and actually actually before the food time let's go into a little bit of epstein bar let's go into a little bit of viral time Let's do that. Now, in order to keep a virus happy, technically, you really have to be feeding foods that viruses love. That's another factor of it. So not only do you have chemicals and poisons and toxins and all these different things that are in your system that you can get from all these different solvents and every, all the exposure I talked about, but you can also be eating all the wrong foods. And viruses love the wrong foods. Now, if you feed the virus, if you don't feed, feed the viruses the wrong foods anymore, and you just have the toxins, you might not get cancer. You might even be able to stop it. It's the food component that falls into the whole thing too—the real bad foods that actually falls into it. But Epstein Barr, which doesn't really, which is really a, somewhat of a docile virus, and it's not really supposed to create cancers. Anything it gets fed all the things it wants. And, you know, it, there's different strains of Epstein-Barr. I talk about it in, you know, all the time, you guys. You know, you know, you've heard all my different shows. I won't go deep into it. I'm going to talk about the 60 different varieties that I've found um, over the years. Nobody knows about different mutated varieties. I mean, I remember just seven years ago uh, talking to a chemist and, and, um, and, and a biologist and an immunologist, talking to all three of them because it was about a patient. And I was explaining about um, about their patient and my client, and I was talking about you know the the different variety of the mutations of Epstein Barr, and they and they they couldn't even believe it. Now, you know, some guys are just like yeah, you know what? I believe that viruses probably do mutate, and it's 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 actually for some reason people can digest it better now. It's amazing how time has to go by. It's sad. It's really sad though that it has to go by like that. So what happens is you got the 
you got the uh, you got the virus cells. Virus cells, viral cancer cells, tend to also teach the human cancer cells what to eat. Like I was talking about, what to like, and that's why a tumor can grow bigger and bigger if it has a lot of mutated human cells in that tumor. It'll start getting an appetite of what that virus likes. Like for instance, an Epstein Barr loves dairy products and loves eggs, and it loves. All these different foods we're going to cover in a little bit. But let's talk about Epstein-Barr cancers. Carcinoma, it's all Epstein-Barr cancer. Every carcinoma is Epstein-Barr. It's a variety of Epstein-Barr that's been mutated and can create cancer. And that's all the carcinomas. Now, if you have Epstein-Barr, you don't have to worry. It's not about you're going to get cancer or not. No. So you can do things so that you don't get cancer. You can do things so you can stop cancers. You can do things, and that's what this information is about. Epstein-Barr is literally responsible for all the carcinomas. It's responsible for every prostate cancer. It's responsible for every leukemia. Some leukemias have heavy metals behind them, but you need the virus. Remember what I talked about before. You have to have a toxin and you have to have a virus. All the leukemias are Epstein-Barr. Children's leukemia, Epstein-Barr, with heavy metal, preferably mercury. And um, so all the prostate cancers, all the breast cancers, I repeat, all the breast cancers, Epstein-Barr. I've been saying that forever, and now it's information that's finally starting to take. That information is just starting to surface, but I promise you, I've been saying that forever. I'll go all the way back in time on that one. Um, I was the first one to say that. The first one, I believe. Um, And I say that because it's important to know the information and and the differences and everything else. Breast cancer, Epstein-Barr, 100%. Lung cancers, most lung cancers are Epstein-Barr. Asbestos lung cancer, no, it's not Epstein-Barr. That's what I talked about before. Thyroid cancer is Epstein-Barr. All liver cancers, Epstein-Barr. Some brain cancers, Epstein-Barr. Very important to understand. So that's just the tip of the iceberg right there. Tip of the iceberg. Right now, um, it's starting. the word for HPV is starting to get out where HPV creates, creates um, cervical cancer. It creates, it creates different cancers, ovarian cancer. Creates, um, and, you know, and that's... That's out there now, and it's HPV. But HPV is always present, but it's Epstein-Barr that creates ovarian cancers, all the ovarian cancers, all the cervical cancers, all the uterine cancers. That's Epstein-Barr that creates those cancers. It's just that the more Epstein-Barr you have in the reproductive system, which a lot of women have a lot of Epstein-Barr in the reproductive system, um, the more HPV because the immune system is lowered in the reproductive system. The reproductive system's immune system is dropped down so you can have higher HPV. If you're killing off HPV by eating healthy and doing all these wonderful things and everything and you notice HPV is going down or a doctor says, hey, you don't have HPV anymore, chances are you knock down your Epstein-Barr at the same time and had no clue. And that's how it works there. Um, I'm not saying HPV is this great friendly virus that causes no harm at all. It can cause scar tissue. But that's not the scar tissue that's behind the Epstein-Barr reproductive cancers. This is an important bit of information I'd like to get across. Um, So 
let's 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 keep on going. We got we got some stuff to talk about. The different viruses. Let's talk about HHV6 real really quick. HHV6 creates ca- kidney cancers. That's a human herpes virus. HHV6. All the HHV7s, the eights. Oh look, um, sarcoma. Okay, that's a herpes virus. But but, but science research knows that one too. That that's a herpes virus. But there's also HHV9, 10, undiscovered 10, undiscovered HHV11, undiscovered HV12. I talk about my herpes show. Those are all cancer promoters, cancer creators. All the different mutations of HHV6 actually create a lot of different cancers, heart cancers, cancers of the heart, cancers of the stomach. Epstein-Barr can create cancers of the pancreas, HHV6, kidney cancer. That's one of its biggest, heart cancer. Um, different types of connective tissue cancer for HHV6, different brain cancers for HHV6 and its mutated forms. So it's really the herpes viral family as that unit of all of them from cytomegalovirus, which is kind of docile but could create a cancer. And these, these, the, the herpes family is mostly responsible, not entirely, most responsible being that other piece that you need to create cancer along with all those toxins we talked about before. Now, in order for a tumor to grow, it needs to draw up food it likes. So if you're still living in a toxic situation, you're getting you're doused with lots of dioxins of different varieties, different kinds, fernands in the air. You know, chemical sprays. Maybe you live someplace and they spray all the time. Try to get the schedule so you don't get sprayed and hit. All the different names. If you want a weed killer, you go, you get a bug spray, a wasp killer, and you go and get your can of wasp killer and you're spraying it. If this keeps on adding up, along with makeups that aren't natural, as long as creams that aren't natural in certain ways, um, hair care products, hair dyes, all the different chemicals and solvents and different rice perfumes. Perfumes are one of the worst. Perfume companies would literally have to fork over billions and billions of dollars if the truth really got out to how to separate these chemical compounds, where they originate from, where they get them from, and how it works. Like I said before, like I said before, it wouldn't be an asbestos fund of, you know, of 30 billion. If you add it all up, it would be way above the country's um, you know, the country's debt of 20 trillion. So what do these cancers really like to eat besides all those poisons I just mentioned there? They need, they, if a cancer becomes a tumor and it's a mix of human cells and viral cells, it's going to need the food you're eating. It's going to need the food you're eating. Eggs are number one, number one on that list. Eggs. Now, I, look, I would love an egg just as much as anybody else. I talk about that so many times. People are happy when you make them eggs. And I get it. If it's you got nothing else to eat and that's all you got to eat, then, well, you know, work on some supplements. And I get it. You know, if you're trying to take care of yourself and eggs is all you got, I get it. I'd rather have you do something else like brown rice over eggs if we could. Maybe get brown rice. And I realized that brown rice is a grain, and some of you are like, oh, he's not ahead of the curve. Oh, here we go again. He just blew his whole thing, his whole show, because he's talking about grains. And, uh, but, but brown rice doesn't feed a cancer. It won't feed a cancer. I'm just letting you know. Whatever your belief system is on a grain, that's not the one that feeds cancer. But I will tell you, I will tell you this. 
that corn does feed cancer, and that information is correct out there. Been saying that forever. GMO corn will feed cancer, without a doubt. GMO canola oil, I wouldn't even, I, I, I would probably even steer clear. If you're worried about cancers or something, steer clear from them. But eggs, that's the top of the heap right there, and that's recommended all the time to everyone, whatever kind of illness right now these days. Eggs, it's good for you, it's got the omega-3s, all that, but no. Egg, material in eggs, hormones in natural, organic eggs, hormone-free eggs still have hormones. Eggs are a ball of natural hormones from the chicken. I'm not talking about injected hormones. I'm talking about organic, natural hormones. And those feed cancers like nothing else does. And they drive right up the tentacles, right up the angiogenesis, right into or right into precancer cells, which are virus cells turning into some kind of cancer, right in. And it dry, they just consume it. They love eggs. Viruses love eggs a whole bit. That's why you could beat your Epstein-Barr anytime. You can kill your Epstein-Barr anytime. You just get the, vi- get the viruses under control, knock them down, beat, beat them down. I talk about it on the show, on the, um, the Epstein-Barr show. So, so you got to look out for that. Dairy products are another thing. That's number two. Dairy products. Milk, forget it. Goat's milk, forget it. Cheese, forget it. Okay, kefir, forget it. Yogurt, forget it. Anything else I forget? Cream in your coffee, forget it. And coffee's not even great. If you've got it dealing with the cancer, coffee ups up the adrenaline, gets the adrenaline pumping. And then if you've got cream in your coffee, you're, you could be feeding some cells. So it's just not even good. I mean, if you're really not worried, you don't have anything going, yeah, you can enjoy a cup of coffee, I guess. Why not? But the bottom line is, it's the foods that I'm talking about get driven up into the tentacles and get into it. And here's another thing that you got to know about protein. Protein feeds cancer. Now you're probably getting ready, getting the stones out and we're going to throw stones now, break glass, break windows. If you need to break windows, then don't, don't do that. No, if you need to kick, kick something, kick something, kick a can, kick a can down the street. But protein feeds cancers. Cancers learn how to eat protein because here's why. Protein doesn't digest so easily in us. Heavy amounts of protein, it doesn't digest easy. So it doesn't break down. And it gets, it gets into the liver. It starts to collect in areas of the body. And it grows toxic. And it creates a toxin. So protein, undigested, denatured protein. Because it becomes denatured for a multitude of reasons. And it releases a chemical. A chemical that, that cancers love to feed on. So if you're into, whoa, all protein, nothing but protein, nothing but protein, you're in the wrong game. You can have some protein, and there's great protein sources. Quinoa is a great protein source. It won't feed a cancer. A black bean is a great protein source. Won't feed a cancer. A spinach, spinach leaf, great protein source. A few different kinds of seeds, hemp seeds, incredible protein source. You know, you don't need probably a lesson or a teaching on that. Is amazing protein sources. Potato, believe it or not, doesn't feed cancer. It won't feed cancer. But you're probably thinking, well, there's sugar in potato. Sugar feeds cancer. No, here's the deal. The wrong sugar feeds cancer. And in labs, they have proven that corn syrup, genetically modified corn syrup, can feed cancer, can actually accelerate cancer. But they have yet proven because they can't and they never will 
never will, that fruit and fruit sugar feeds cancer. The reason why is because they'll never have the sugar and fruit accompanied with all of that color, the antioxidants, all the phytochemicals that stop and kill cancer. They'll never have the study with that. Instead, they'll separate fructose. And still, even fructose by itself won't feed a cancer. I don't care what botch research, and I'm going to go back to the very beginning. Remember this? Here's how studies work so you know how studies work. When someone funds a study in medical science, both conventional or alternative, they don't want to know their money was wasted. So when somebody has a big idea like a belief system, so say there's there's a big doctor that has a belief system, and they want to prove it, and they get funding. They finally get funding. It's a big break for them, and they don't want to be humiliated. And they get this huge, you know, huge hunk of money to try to determine if their theory applies. The people who fund it don't want to lose that money. That person will never be funded again if they can't prove what they were trying to prove. This is how this has been in history. This is going back in history over and over again. I'm just telling you right now, this is the beginning of medicine. So what happens is, all right, that the theory will come out one way or another as being proven. But fruit, sugar, in a piece of fruit, with all of its biochem, all of its amazing phytochemicals to actually stop cancer, that will not feed cancer. What happens is, so when you eat plain old corn syrup and plain old cane syrup, and you're eating cane syrup and corn syrup, and you're doing a lot of that, and it happens to be in chocolate cake and other things. There's a combination of a lot of things that feed a cancer that can make that corn syrup, make that table sugar feed cancer. It's a combination of all of the wheat, which is a different grain. Wheat is a different grain than the other grains. Genetically altered wheat, combination of that, all the canola oils, maybe the lard, maybe the fats, because fats also feed cancers. Higher fat diet you're on, the faster a cancer can thrive because fats take out the oxygen out of the blood. It reduces the oxygen out of the blood. Oxygen kills cancer, kills cancer cells. So when your your oxygen is lower than it should be, and those tentacles are drawing up nutrients, and they're drawing up nutrients, and they're drawing up less oxygen than ever before because you're on a high-protein, high-fat diet. you got a better chance of not slowing down a cancer. So if your diet is, you know, eggs in the morning and, you know, and protein in the afternoon and nothing but protein again in the afternoon, protein in the evening, and there's not a lot of room for what does stop cancer or kills cancer, which is fresh fruits and vegetables and leafy greens, and there's not enough of that in there, it's not going to be enough to stop a cancer so easily. That's not going to be enough. So that oxygen diminishes, the more higher fat you have in the bloodstream. It shuts down the oxygen levels, drops it down systematically. It drops it down uh, dramatically. And so what happens is when that occurs, your cancers aren't getting oxygen and cancers don't like oxygen, so they like the fact that there's lower oxygen. That's why exercise and, you know, and, and fresh food does matter, fresh fruits and vegetables, because of the oxygen levels that occur in the body. And when you thin out the blood a little bit, naturally, by lowering the amount of fats you have, like you don't have sausage and eggs for breakfast, 
or you don't have a big hunk of butter on top of some wheat pancakes with some lard in the pancake, if you don't have that, then your blood will be thinner, more oxygen will get in areas that cancers could be developing to shut it down and stop it. So it's really important too. So right now, in the world of cancer, sugar is the enemy. Sugar is the enemy as far as the information that's out there right now. But I want you to know that that, that line is blurred. Corn syrup, yeah, that, that, that's not a good thing by no means for cancer. Too much table sugar, that's bad for cancer. But what's really happening is fruit's being thrown in there, and fruit shouldn't be thrown in there. Because as I talk about many times, fruit fear is, is a dangerous thing when you're dealing with cancers or worried or cancer in the family or something going on. You've you got to be getting those blueberries, those wild blueberries. You've got to be getting those strawberries, those cranberries, especially those wild blueberries. Not the regular. If you need to get regular blueberries, fine. Blackberries, black raspberries. Yeah, sure. You know, there are a lot of information out there now it's that they're helpful, and people are using that in their, you know, protocols for cancer, but it's more than that. It's melons. It's apples. It's bananas. It's bananas. Really helpful. Okay? It's papaya. It's mango. It's lots and lots of tomatoes. Lots and lots of tomatoes. All these are incredibly healthy for fighting and battling, preventing cancer. Kiwis, another one. Grapes. And you might think, well, grapes are loaded with sugar. Actually, the sugar in grapes is combined. You can't separate the sugar when it's eaten from the phytochemical, the antioxidants that kill cancer cells. So what happens is when you eat a grape, the sugar is going to go up the tent uh, up the tentacle, up the angiogenesis travel, the blood vessel, and it's going to go into the tumor with something that the tumor cannot tolerate, which is what's in the skin of the grapes. It's what's in that skin of the grapes or in a raisin, and that's dimethyl resveratrol. Different subgroups of dimethyl resveratrol that aren't even calculated or on any, any you know, the labs don't haven't even figured it out that there's all kinds of different subgroups from dimethyl resveratrol all on its own, and goes up into the tumor, and it starts to kill the tumor, starts to trigger off an anti-tumor shrinking, an anti-tumor shrinking chemical that is inherently in your human cells. So even though your human cells might have been mutated to such a point, combined with the viral cell mutating, becoming cancerous, and then both joining and being inside of a living tumor that's growing, even with that, there's still something you can't break that's in that human cell inside of a cancerous tumor. There's something you cannot break, and it's information. There's information. There's a chemical compound that stays in that human cell that can be triggered to start shrinking a tumor. And it takes and it takes exactly those kinds of foods to help someone fight the fight along with whatever else they're doing or choosing to do in life, whatever really good cancer clinic they found or alternative cancer clinic they found and everything else. But the foods matter. They matter so greatly. And the same thing with the wild blueberry, it has these chemical compounds, these dimethyl 
these subgroups off the dimethyl resveratrol, these subgroups that trigger off that chemical compound in a human cell that's been already denatured and mutated to the point where it's a cancer cell growing into a tumor and multiplying and growing and growing and growing. So fruits and vegetables are critical. If you can't handle any fruit for some reason and you're worried about it, then you just bring in more vegetables then and more greens and maybe some red bell peppers and orange bell peppers. Bring in some more different foods. If you can, bring in the turmeric. That's really important. All these are important. Celery is important. Celery juice is important. Very helpful. I talk about it all the time. Heavy metals. Get out the heavy metal detox that we talk about, which is the spirulina. Spirulina is a great, great weapon as well. Barley grass juice powder, a great weapon. And, you know, and look, any kind of, anything I'm talking about in the supplements next with I'm going to talk about, you can always go to my my page. I don't sell the supplements, but you can go to my page on my website and know what the ones I like, the ones that I favor because I know how they help people. And so it's a directory to get you the rights so you know what you're getting. Wheatgrass juice. Wheatgrass is incredible. There's, there's, um, you know, if you, if you have a way of getting wheatgrass and juicing fresh wheatgrass, that's a, that fights, that helps fight the fight. Because what happens is there's phytochemicals in wheatgrass that when they're drawn up into a tumor or, or absorbed by denatured cells that haven't become a tumor somewhere, that haven't become a tumor or a lesion that happens to be active with cancer cells now. And that wheatgrass is by phytochemicals that help to suppress the development, the growth. So all these are important. Supplements to kill off your Epstein bars. We talk about that all the time. And in the Epstein-Barr show I did before, got to have enough zinc in your regimen. Okay, that's important. The lemon bomb's important. Nettle leaf is helpful. Vitamin C, lots and lots of vitamin C. Tumors, lesions, cancer cells, precancerous cells, virus cells hate vitamin C. Absolutely hate vitamin C. I like the liposomal C that, uh, that I always recommend. That's the one that I like. There's a lot of different ones out there. I don't like a lot of them. Um, there's a really good one that I recommend that, uh, doesn't have corn in it and all the liposomal C's, they all have corn in it. So that's not a great thing. So it's really important to know that. So if you're concerned, you want preventative or anything like that, you do a wheatgrass juice shot. There's a company called dynamic greens. They grow their wheatgrass in a field, just like say grass fed beef. You know how everybody likes grass fed beef because they like that more. And, you know, the wheatgrass grows in a field because, you know, it's better that way too. So that's a – and then you can't get a hold of the – that you don't want that product, then just go into, yeah, the health food store and get the wheatgrass juice you need right in the moment. But the bottom line is it's all these different pieces. So I'm going to run across them. It's about getting the right leafy greens and different green chlorophyll substances in you. But that's not old. That's not new information. That's not. And, and I know that. But that's okay. It was new back in the early 70s, all right, when Spirit was telling me, this is what you need to be on, this is what you need to be on, this is what you need to get. And getting it was near impossible back then, near impossible. But the bottom line, the point I'm trying to say is that everything's at our fingertips now, resources like never before. So vitamin C is really important. 
Um, I like IV vitamin C. If you're if you're concerned about cancer possibilities, talk to your doctor, your cancer doctor, everybody about vitamin IV. You know, vitamin C IV. That's a really good thing, and that's been out for helping people with cancer. We know that that's been out there, but you can also take a really good liposomal C if you're concerned, which kills off Epstein Barr, knocks down Epstein Barr. Lysine is important for knocking down Epstein Barr. That's another one that's really important. Um, so. Adding all these different things, licorice is actually okay too. And you know, you can take licorice once. Licorice tea is really good. You do licorice tea to help bring down Epstein Barr. Um, that's helpful in many ways. One of the things is is that there's this whole thing going on about estrogen and estrogen be creating cancers and everything else. And then there are forms of estrogen, mutated forms of estrogen that we ingest and we consume every single day. We consume them out of foods. So they come out of food. So we have to be careful. Um, if you're really worried about an estrogenic um, cancer, then eggs you should never even touch. I don't care if they're grown in somebody's backyard. You shouldn't touch them. So you, you can't, and, and milk and dairy products and everything else. I would keep even in animal products down to a low if you're concerned about any kind of estrogen-causing cancer. But estrogen in its mutated form, it's not, it's not a, um, the woman's natural estrogen that's, that's being produced by her adrenals or her reproductive system that grows cancer. It's outside estrogens. It's an entirely different estrogen. But science and research is not separating that right now. That's another problem we have um, in general. I mean, just that's a problem all on its own. But anti-estrogenic foods, I'm talking about estrogenic foods that are actually the toxic ones that are out about that are in plastics and everything else, you could battle those with the right fruits and vegetables and making sure that you keep you know, the eggs and the dairy and everything else down. But there's little things you can do every day, every day. You can work on knocking down any kind of viral issue that you have with the right amount of vitamin C, the lysine, and having enough zinc reserves. Those alone are important to knocking down any kind of herpes virus um, in the herpes family, HHV6 that create cancers, Epstein bars that create cancers, spirulina knocks down and kills viral cells. Spirulina can stop a thyroid from getting cancer by killing off Epstein Barr and many other different viruses like HHV6 and the sevens, the eights, the nines, the tens, the elevens, the twelve, you name it. And all the herpes viruses, cytomegalovirus, all of them. And the simplexes one, two. But the bottom line is. You can do these simple things. Get the spirulina, get the vitamin C, get the lemon balm, get the lysine. You know, that, just that alone, getting the zinc reserves up to knock down the viral loads and then taking the foods that feed the viruses out and bring in foods like some dandelion greens, some mosh, some kale, lots of spinach. Spinach is an incredible warrior for, for keeping down cancers in people's bodies and knocking down Epstein-Barr. And then all the different fruits, grapes, bananas, apples, peaches, plums, nectarines, cranberries, melons, mangoes, papayas, kiwis, right down the road, right down the road. All those should be in your diet. And you shouldn't fear them or be afraid of them. But stay away from the table sugars. Stay away from the corn syrups. Because most of the time, those corn syrups and table sugars aren't going to be by themselves. You're not going to go and get a vial of corn syrup and just drink it. It's going to be in something else that's probably really helping cause a cancer. Meaning corn syrup combined with something that's nasty, like a bad cupcake. 
So we know that. As far as grains go, if you're somebody who likes them or don't like them, you know, if you have nothing to eat, you're not worried. Quinoa is actually not cancer-causing. It's not. It won't feed a cancer is what I mean. It won't feed a viral cell. Millet won't feed a viral cell. A black bean won't feed a viral cell. A sweet potato, a regular potato won't feed a viral cell. So if you just lost your eggs and your dairy and you're like, what do I eat now? You can have a potato. That potato is going to protect you a lot more than an egg would any day, anyhow. And if you're someone that's doing a lot of, lot of animal protein, cut it in half. Cut it in half so you can make room for the things that actually stop cancer, which are all the different leafy greens and the peppers and the tomatoes and the onions and the garlic. Garlic's a great secret weapon for Epstein-Barr. Epstein-Barr doesn't die in one day. And either do the other herpes viruses, but you can knock them down over time and avoid cancer in the future. Avoid the thyroid cancer, the lung cancer, the reproductive cancer, the ovarian cancer, the uterine cancer. All right. And you can avoid these. The breast cancer can be avoided. Heavy metal detox and all the different fresh fruits and vegetables and leafy greens help to eliminate toxins and poisons so that... You can't feed viruses and get end up with some of the cancers like breast cancer. So all these are incredibly important factors. What I would do is, you know, listen out for more stuff about the Epstein bar that I do on, on the radio shows and stuff like that. And I'll fill you in a more 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 of that as well along the way. But I want to talk about a little history for a couple of minutes though about the Epstein bar and some of the viruses. They took off route. Back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, because of all the different arsenic combinations and all the different antibiotic creations that were starting pre-antibiotic era, that were all starting, and they were using, they were testing new fungicides and new antibiotics on food purposely all through the late 1800s and early 1900s. So we were getting a tremendous amount of early poison in that day, which actually fueled a very benign, non-destructive viral cell that grew into something more over the decades through the 1900s. And that's why it's to the point it is now. And I talk about that a lot on the Epstein-Barr shows that I do. Um, Prayer is important. Keep that in your heart and soul. All right. And pat yourself on the back. Take it easy. If you know someone suffering or going through something, know that you can do so much. You can do so many great things and you can do so many good things and we take it one day at a time, and we start getting the different supplements in. I want to go across, uh, while we still have time, a few more supplements too. And um, there's some supplements I like. I love turmeric. I love curcumin. That's great. I love coenzyme Q10. I love that. I love ALA, okay, for helping prevent cancers, helping people along with their immune systems. Um, I do like bees. It's one thing that you'll hear out there is all the bees feed cancers. But when you minus... The, when you bring down the viral load down in your bodies, when people bring down the viral load down and you bring down the toxic load everywhere else, a B vitamin will not be harmful. And that is misinformation about bees. It just so happens they find B vitamin in some cancer tumors. And they have discovered that, but they've also found every mineral and many vitamins and nutrients that happen to accidentally get up there. Because the, the cancer tumors and the, and the cells don't want those. 
It just so happens those, those, those nutrients get delivered. They don't feed the tumor and they don't grow the tumor. The tumors and the cancer cells, I just want to go through this vitamin B thing a little bit with you guys while we can. Um, tumors grow from all the other things I talked about, all the other things that it likes and the cancers like and the viral cells and the viral cancers like. That's what tumors grow on. They don't grow on vitamin B by itself, you know, all the vitamin Bs by themselves. They don't. And they don't grow on a mineral by itself. And they don't grow on a nutrient or a vitamin by itself. And all those can be traces of all those can be found in cancers because it goes up the, the, it goes up the chute. It goes up the androgenesis. It goes up the tentacles. And it also goes into lesions. It goes into different, different cancers and different fabrics, of, you know, all of that. And it gets into different connective tissue cancers and everything else. And so as it's going up in there, there are traces that are found. And a mistake is made about how vitamin Bs are really dangerous with a cancer. It's not accurate. It's all the foods and all the poisons that the tumor relies on nonstop. Someone can avoid a little bit of B12 or they could avoid a you know, methylfolate but they're eating eggs every day while they're dealing with a cancer. And that's what I'm talking about. Critical and subtle differences of understanding this stuff. That's important. So I just wanted to give you an example too. I mean, people literally eat eggs all day long or every day, three eggs a day, one egg a day, and they're avoiding a B vitamin that can help protect their nervous system and other parts of their body so they can stay strong, protect their immune system so they can stay strong. So that's another aspect of, of what one of the misunderstandings is going out there. I mean, you don't have to OD on the Bs. You can you take a little bit. You just don't want to go deficient and never take a B vitamin because you're afraid it's going to feed a cancer. You can take a little bit of B vitamins. So that's one other thing. Now, in the herbal world, I love a lot of different herbs for fighting cancer. Here's the thing. Every single herb does fight cancer. Every single herb has phytochemicals within it that does retard and fight cancer. It does suppress, stops, slows down, or fights, or kills some cancers. Every single herb. So I like elderflower, um, chrysanthemum flower. I love these. I even like elderberry. Elderberry is great. Rose hips, amazing for really helping with cancers. All right, yarrow, burdock root, dandelion root, little bits of that, like some tea, could be really helpful. Yarrow, that's another great one. Mullen leaf, it's another one too. So all these herbs are really helpful and really wonderful. So if you're a practitioner too and you want to try a different herb, eyebright, that's a great one. And like, of course, I said before, nettle leaf, lemon balm, those are great as well. So these are some of the herbs that you can, you know, Think about red root is a good one too that helps, and that's a good one as well. So think about those and incorporating some of those, but fresh fruits and vegetables, no matter what avenue you go, whether you go Chinese medicine or you go to just a different alternative doctor or you go straight to a conventional doctor or whatever it is that you're doing or you know somebody, bring in the more fruits and vegetables, lower the animal proteins a bit. If you just can't do without the animal proteins, have them once a day. I stand behind that. But bring in some of these other foods that I mentioned today. And um, so a little recap. We talked about how it takes a virus and it takes these toxins to create a cancer. But viruses, cancers are 
almost all, all viral. So when you really look at it, it's all viral. And that's something that's always been kept in the dark and kept in the closet. So always remember that, you know, most, I mean, literally most, and I'm talking about most every single cancer is viral. That's, that's the whole point. Now, um, and there's people like, look, just a little reminder again, there's people that don't get any viral sickness. Like they maybe experience mono from Epstein-Barr when they're younger and then it goes away and they don't experience, you know, they never, they don't have the chronic fatigue. They don't have the fibromyalgia that I talk about all the time that, that Epstein-Barr causes. And they don't have that, but then a cancer can still develop later on because the viruses could be a little bit different. There's still all these different varieties of Epstein-Barr I talked about and different varieties. So recapping different varieties of the HHV6, different varieties of all these different viruses, and especially Epstein-Barr. The Epstein-Barr is in, you know, that's the spotlight right now. You know, that's the spotlight right now that, that I'm bringing, that I've actually brought to the world. Like if, if you look at my, uh, look, if you want to know more about Epstein-Barr, you get the first book medical medium. But just so you know, the thyroid healing book, that one right there is is even taking it to a whole nother level too. But I always say to people, look, you need both. You need the medical medium book so you can learn about the viruses, how they work, how they get into the thyroid, the whole bit. But the thyroid healing book takes it to a level that no one's ever seen. And even the first book, no one's ever seen that. I took it to that level, but this is a whole nother thing. So I tell people you have to have both. And then I, I also, when it comes down to cancers, in the life-changing foods book, um, I mean, I have easily over 60, 70 cancers, 50 cancers, um, easy 50, that's for sure, plus in there, uh, and, and what foods help all the different cancers. So, you know, what foods, whether it's lung cancer or liver cancer, whether it's leukemia, whatever it is, what foods help too with all those different cancers. So... You know, I, I do have cancer information throughout the books. The thyroid healing book takes the viral information even further than ever before in history, uh, at least medical medium history, of course, and history on the outside as well. So it's really important to understand. So recapping, it, cancers are viral, and that's the whole point. And, and that's what's been hidden, and it's about how that virus, like I talked about earlier, how that virus starts and what it does, it bring, it starts and then it roots and then it turns into something more. And I talked about how you need the toxins. That's the other half of it. But, but yet, you know, if someone doesn't have the viral issue, if they don't have the Epstein-Barr, the variety of Epstein-Barr, the mutated variety of Epstein-Barr out of all the different 60 varieties I talk about in Medical Medium Book 1, if, if you don't have that going on, and you just have the toxins, and you can get, you know, kind of sick in a different way. That's not cancerous. You can still get a benign tumor. You can still get a lipoma, a fatty tumor. And you can still get all these different things or, or other kinds of sicknesses too be, from having, you know, constant exposure to so many toxins. And it's like I was saying before, just, you know, recapping on like the lung cancer thing too, is somebody could smoke for 50, 60 years and not get lung cancer. Somebody else smokes for four years and gets lung cancer. They have to, you have to have the virus has to be around. And so that all that's important to understand um, but, you know, keep in mind if you, you know, to, to really, you know, hook into some of the, there's a 28 day cleanse on medical medium book one on the book, medical medium, there's a 28 day cleanse. That's amazing for cancer, really, really powerful for cancer. And the reason why I'm bringing this up and bringing all the books up is because 
what what you have to keep in mind to protect yourself from these cancers and to protect yourself from ever getting them, or if you have them, you know, getting, you need that reinforcement, you have to empty the body of the toxins I talked about, all the leftover toxins we inherit. And I might not have expressed that earlier um, in this webinar about how we inherit these toxins. Heavy metals are passed down for thousands of years thousands of years in our family line. It's not genes that take us down. It's not a gene problem. Our forefathers have mercury in them. Our forefathers have lead, mercury, cadmium, nickel, um, aluminum. It, going back, especially mercury, that's, that's actually one of the oldest. And so we inherit these metals, and then we inherit DDT from the 1920s, 1930s, when DDT saturated everybody. And DDT doesn't go away. You pass it on to your, you pass it on to your children, just right, just just from the pregnancy itself, literally. Um, and and it starts there, right in the egg, right in the pregnancy itself, right there. And that DDT is passed on, and that DDT comes from being saturated. Same thing with all the chemicals and all the solvents and everything else. And we're passing down. A tremendous amount of toxin, unlike ever before in history, and then it gets blamed on genes because, remember, it has to be blamed on you. Like I said earlier, it has to be blamed on you, and the blame has to go on you and not the mistakes made, not all the industries, including the medical industry and all the other industries because – you know, that's the whole point. So it's going to be thrown, you're going to be thrown into the genetic game. Everybody's going to be thrown in that. And I know there's, first of all, I know genes are obviously real. They're valuable in so many ways, and they're valuable in science. I'm not debunking that factor, but I am telling you that they're going to also use genes against you when they shouldn't because it's not part of the equation in certain areas. And remember, I, tell you at the, I told you at the very beginning, there's subtle and critical differences, the critical differences. One is, yes, genes are important to study in science, and they matter in in many different ways, but it's not why everybody's getting sick with cancer right now. It's not. It's from all this, all these toxins literally being passed down and amplifying and adding more, more like never before in history, the thousands of chemicals that are falling out of the sky every day on us and everything else. And that's just a fraction of what I'm talking about. And so, and including the inheriting, the inheriting, the amount of poison, and then the adher- inheriting of viruses that have grown in strength. So if, if you know, if, you're, if your grandmother had breast cancer, it's possible, yes, it's not a gene thing that occurs where now you're going to be genetically, you know, susceptible. No, it's the virus that could have been passed down. And it could, it, it, these viruses have information, they stay alive, and they have memory, unless you kill them, unless you kill them and break them down and work on it. And that's what I dedicated the first book, Medical Medium, and I dedicated thyroid healing for breaking down these viruses and doing the right things to knock this stuff down, knock the Epstein bar down and, and take it out and push it out of the body. So these things are incredible. All this information is imperative to know that we inherit these poisons, we inherit many of the viruses and so forth, but there is someone to blame and it's not you. And so when you lose a loved one with cancer or something happens where someone has, you know, a loved one has, or a child has leukemia, it's not their body. You know, children with leukemia have tons of mercury, much higher amount of mercury. They have the heavy metals, number one. They also have the monovirus, the one that creates leukemia that I talk about in book one, Medical Medium. 
And that virus starts out the leukemia factor. That's the whole point, and that's what's going on. That's why there's so many different now leukemias that they're figuring out. They don't even know what to do. They just use they do, do the chemotherapy for leukemia because, and then they're using also different drugs like immunosuppressive drugs and chemotherapy together because they don't they don't understand that it literally is the Epstein Barr virus that creates leukemia and and many of the children. They they don't know that part to that degree yet. And a recap, as I said before, cancer's only judged on the merits of its manifesting, already turning into something, already being something, and not like catching it way before. So when you hear about, you know, cancer preventative and everything else from experts and all that, if they're not talking about what we talked about today in this webinar, if they're not talking about the information we're talking about, how it really starts, how the, how the virus poisons the tissue and everything else, that, the remanufacturing of the poison, everything else that you guys now know, the truth, the real truth, the real truth. When we say truth out there, it doesn't mean it's all truth or exactly the truth. And that's another problem too. And so we can get sucked into it real easy. So the thyroid healing book, when it says truth about Hashimoto's on that book, it's really the truth about Hashimoto's, not... Not information and studies that had interest groups behind it, okay, and kickbacks and medical funding and everything else that had to make something come out a certain way, the cake just come out just right because so much was at stake and, and, you know, angled a certain way. It's like the whole thing with the sugar thing, you know, corn syrup can, yeah, can instigate cancer cells, but no one studied a piece of fruit with the cancer-killing phytochemicals within the sugar combined that's never been put to a lab or test to show how it kills cancer cells. So then all sugar's ostracized because of it. All sugar is, is, is you know, is, 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 is called wrong when it's really the things that, you know, we need to actually cure cancer, help with cancer. The, in, the It's in there. And so... These phytochemicals. So it's all about the studies being twisted and botched and everything else I said at the very beginning in the opening, you guys. And so because of that, when we deal with the truth and thyroid healing says it's the truth about Hashimoto's, you're going to have to – you're definitely going to have to have your chamomile tea with you when you read that book because your your eyeballs are going to just – they're going to pop out (laughs) in a good way, in a good way as you're reading that. And you're going to be like, oh, my God. And – so you need to understand all this. Uh, so you you're you're you got the armor, you got the protection. So you're you're guarded in a safe way. You know the whole point is, look, we have to protect you. That's the whole point, and that's what I've always done since I was a child. So I want to talk about the foods a little bit, too, a little bit more about the foods. Chaga mushroom, fantastic. Chaga mushroom, reishi mushroom. That's another thing that's great for cancers. And that, and that information's out there. And that is. But I still have to remind you of some of the things that are out there. Uh, and some of the things that I've been using before that information got out there once again. Like the, like the reishi mushroom. I'm going back since I was eight years old. I was telling people to use reishi mushroom for cancer. And nobody even knew what that was or how to get it. It was unbelievable. Cordyceps. Um, lion's mane. 
those are all great. I want to cover juicing a little bit more deeper. Um, asparagus juice. Now, here's how the juicing works to really help with cancers, preventing cancers, helping with everything. So anything you're doing in your regime, whether you're getting chemotherapy, whether you're getting, uh, you know, radiation, uh, um, you know, synchronized radiation uh, blast, the whole bit that, that we do, they're, lo- they're doing better with radiation now than they never did before, even though, you know, a lot of people are against it. Some people hate it. Some people like it. It's It's just, you know, it, it's complicated every bit about it. Everybody's different. Every doctor's different. Every clinic is different too. So wherever you're going, whether it's the natural clinics where you're just getting nothing but intravenous or you're getting a, a combination of a holistic clinic that's doing some chemotherapy plus other things, whatever it is, juicing can fit into any of those places to help you either prevent cancer um, if you, or, or combat it or help reverse it or whatever whatever you need. So so in the juicing, I like a base in the juice. The base meaning it could be apple. Yes, apple, believe it or not, okay? Because I know that, you know, that's shunned in so many situations, which it shouldn't be on any level. It, I mean, there's so many cancer-fighting properties in, in apple, it's insane. So a little bit of apple, celery, which is a secret weapon. That should be a strong base. Cucumber could be a base too. Now, if you can just do plain celery as your base, you can do plain cucumber as your base or apple. But here's the trick. Now it's adding it's adding the accents on top of this. So what I like to do for cancers is, and real cancer preventative, is you do... You do, you know, a good half celery juice. You could, you know, good 10, 12 ounces or 16 ounces of celery juice or whatever. And then you run some asparagus in. You only need a few ounces of, you know, the the addition. So asparagus is one of them. Asparagus is one of the the, uh, greatest cancer fighters out there. So always remember that. So you can do this juice where you're juicing your celery. You got a nice glass of celery or celery apple or cucumber, and then you put in your asparagus at the top. Juice that in, and you get your three ounces of asparagus. It's really potent when it's juiced, and you get that mixed in your juice. That's a weapon. Another thing is cabbage. You can then get your base, you get your celery, you get your celery, you get your cucumber, or you just whatever one you want in the base, like I said before, and then you take you take that cabbage and you put the cabbage through there, and you get a good few ounces of cabbage juice. And that is another secret weapon. You can choose red cabbage. You can choose green cabbage, and that's a great secret weapon. Um, Broccoli sprouts, they're very potent, very sharp, but you can eat those. You can throw those as an accent in the juice. Any sprout can be put through the juicer, a little bit of red clover, fenugreek, um, pea shoots, sunflower greens all these can be together if you really want or separate and you you put those you get an ounce of that an ounce of pea shoot juice or two ounces of you know red clover juice sunflower green juice pea shoot juice is really powerful microgreens get the kale microgreens radish greens mustard microgreens people can grow these too you can learn how to grow sprouts so you can totally look up how to grow sprouts and run a little bit in your juicer and microgreens go great when you have that base of, of celery, that base of cucumber, that base of, of a little bit of apple if you really want to break up the taste. And then you add your microgreens, some kale greens, some radish and mustard. Now, of course, you can put large kale in, meaning adult kale or, you know, uh, older kale, meaning not the micro kale where it's the baby. You can you can put some kale in as, as also an addition in your juice, some spinach. All those are incredible for cancers, but I'm giving you... The different varieties 
and what you can do um, to really, you know, have that juicing added into it all. And remember, once again, don't forget all the different fruits you can have in your diet. The wild blueberries are by far one of the greatest anti-cancerous foods on this planet Earth right here. And, um, and uh, you know, always remember that. So that should be in your smoothies. The heavy metal detox smoothie, once again, just throwing that at you. Um, make sure that's a, a, a piece of it all because you're pulling out heavy metals and other toxins and other dioxins. Never underestimate the power of cilantro in the heavy metal detox. And you can do cilantro in your juices too. And when, but when you do the heavy metal detox, the barley grass juice powder, and you know you got your spirulina, and you got your cilantro, and you got your wild blueberries, and your dulse. Don't underestimate the power of those. Those not only take out heavy metals, and the wild blueberries, I said that already, they not only take the heavy metals out, but they take plastics out. They take DDT out in the liver that's been there long before you were born, meaning in your, in your parents and in their parents. Takes out all kinds of things, chemical solvents from carpets, from rugs, from, you know, just Anything that you've gotten into you throughout the years that is feeding the original viruses that start up cancer. And so don't underestimate that, the power of that as well. Uh, Always remember that. So, um, and hey, look, uh, bottom line is when you get that copy of Thyroid Healing in your hands, you're going to have more information than you just ever thought existed. And I'm really excited about that. I would get medical medium because I got the 28-day cleanse, which I love for cancer, always have. It's, it's incredible for, for helping people with cancer because what it does, thins out the blood, gets oxygen, oxygen in places where cancer doesn't want oxygen. And that's what I really like. And so no matter what your diet is, you know, whatever your diet is too, you can always do a 28-day cleanse to really support yourself, protect yourself and have that extra extra bonus. Um, you know, if you're dealing with cancers or anything like that, keep your diet relatively low fat. If you love animal products, like I said, you know, just, you know, keep them. Don't, don't be, you know, don't do the bacon in the morning, the, the eggs for lunch, the eggs and tuna for lunch. And then, you know, you move in dinner time, lots of chicken and beef. Try to pick one of those things. Just don't do the eggs, of course. And um, because you want your blood not so fat. I have nothing against animal products. It's just that you don't want the blood so thick so thick and pasty that oxygen and nutrients can't get phytochemicals that stop cancer, can't get to tumors, to cysts, to lesions, to tissue that needs to repair itself. And and that's really important to understand, regardless of what experts say out there. Like I said before, some of the stuff is going to be something completely opposite to what you've heard, what you've known. But, you know, I've seen success for decades, proven success for decades and decades with all illnesses. So, so we, we like to give people what they need for sure. And um, look, when you knock your viral load down, when you knock that Epstein bar down that, res- that sits in so many of us, when you knock that down, you knock down other viruses that could be trouble, um, you take control. You actually take control and it moves you forward. You take control into a place of healing that you didn't even know existed meaning giving you protection for the future, your future self, your future self. Because, you know, when we look at ourselves in the future, we don't want to see ourselves sick. We don't want to see ourselves dealing with with a a cancer or fibromyalgia or RA or all these things I talk about Epstein-Barr creates and causes or Hashimoto's or whatever it is. You know, you don't want to have to see yourself sick in the future. And so you want to knock your viral loads down. 
And that's what a part of all this is too. So keep in mind um, with all, all of everything I said today. And, um, and yeah, we move forward. And that's the bottom line. We move forward. So I think this concludes at least one part, one part. And look, we're going to be doing a lot more than this. So just please listen out because we're going to, we're going to be doing more than this. And we're going to go in depth in other ways and other different illnesses and everything else, including with what we're talking about here again. I'm honored you're here. I'm honored you're with me today. You know, when I was given the gift, it wasn't for me when I, when I was young, when I was a child, when it was given to me, it was for you guys. And I knew that then. And, uh, and I know it now. And so anything I can do providing any bit of piece of information that could help you in any way, that's what I'm here for. Blessings. I love you. Take care. And uh, God bless you.